Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everyone. We are live from Smash Studios here in Hudson Yards, New York, as Good Morning New York gets underway on this Tuesday morning. At this hour, the real estate market throughout the years has benefited many people, from buyers to sellers to investors. But even with relatively low interest rates and reduced selling prices today, there is still a big gap between the number of people that want to own a home and those that are able to make that purchase. Getting a mortgage is inevitable. Uh, Unfortunately, standard mortgages are not always accessible for many people, especially first-time buyers. But there are programs out there. Don't despair. We will talk to a banking expert here this morning. Also at this hour, the millennial generation and their consumption habits are largely blamed for fundamental changes in several industries like retail and the housing market. But according to CNBC, there seems to be a new interest in buying value, and 2020 could be the year of change for millennials buying homes. And what other succession rights in rent-stabilized and rent-controlled apartments in New York City? The panel will weigh in on all that, but first I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I am Vince Rocco, and this is Good Morning New York Real Estate. In the news this morning, sales reached a six-year low in 2018, and 2019 has been more of the same. In Manhattan, the number of sales has decreased each year since the peak sales year of 2013, dropping over 20%. Final sales figures for 2019 are expected to be lower than those in 2009 following the financial crash. In the third quarter of this year, sales are down by 14% compared to the same time last year, with the median sale price also down by 8%. With a median uh, Manhattan sale price just under a million dollars, it represents a 17% decline compared to the same time last year. And over the last decade, the landscape of New York City has seen an unprecedented amount of change. Luxury towers and mega projects rose across the city, and miles of previously off-limit coastline was transformed into new waterfront parks. Numerous neighborhoods were reconstructed in the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy, and thousands of small businesses and historic buildings were wiped out by soaring rents and waves of technology and gentrification. As new development projects and rezoning reshaped the city, it also lost countless historic buildings and cultural institutions. Dive bars, bungalows, churches, and even entire neighborhoods were wiped off the face of the map here in New York during a decade of destruction. Many of these changes were set in motion by former Mayor Michael Bloomberg, who was in office until 2014. Under his administration, approximately 40% of New York's landmass was rezoned, allowing for the construction of over 214,000 new housing units. But the results have not been pretty, especially in the low-income and industrial neighborhoods that were bulldozed under the threat of eminent domain. Bloomberg turned over to Bill de Blasio, a city that was increasingly caricatured as a playground for the rich. This, according to the New York Times, slender new skyscrapers on Billionaire's Row had begun to cast shadows on Central Park. Neighborhoods that had seen little investment in years were bracing for gentrification and income inequality ranked among the highest of major cities in America. So, you know, there, there is so much to unpack there. We're going to save that for a whole show coming up at the start of uh, next year. But it's true. If you look at what has been going on out there in this landscape of New York City that we all know and love, uh, I keep saying I came here, I don't know, 30-something years ago, and it looks nothing like it ever did before. But that's progress also. So everybody wants to knock it, but it's also progress. 
All right, we've got a couple of uh, special guests here today. Jamie Heiberger has been here uh, before. Good, uh, good to see you. Again. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. Uh, she is widely recognized as a leading attorney in the Greater New York City real estate industry, having achieved unprecedented success. That success uh, derives from her ability to simultaneously think like a business person and a lawyer. By the way, that's huge. Okay, and and don't take that you know lightly. She is a real estate closing attorney. Among her many other roles, she drafts and negotiates contracts, conducts due diligence and closings for buyers and sellers for individual cooperative and condominium apartments. Uh, for both resale and new development properties. She also gets involved in single multifamily and commercial properties. Uh, so again, welcome, Jamie. That's uh, so nice to have you Thank back. Thank you very again. much. Also with us is our banking expert today, Ace Wantanasur. Perfect. Good morning, Vince. I can hardly say this morning. Good morning and thank you for joining us today. He is Executive Vice President of Citizens Bank, and he has exceeded expectations from day one by expanding into new markets and capturing unprecedented market share in purchase financing as well as refinancing. His reputation has allowed him to attract talented loan officers within every region uh, they service. After graduating from the University of Connecticut in 2002 with a Bachelor of Science degree in finance, Ace began his mortgage industry career as a loan officer with Citibank in Queens. By 2005, he was ranked the sixth highest producer in the United States for a total funded volume of $189 million. That same year, he enrolled in New York uh, University School of Law. His tremendous success continues today. Ace is a native New Yorker. I mean, that is quite the resume. Yeah, grew up in Queens, New York, so... Yeah, but I mean, everything you've accomplished in the, in the financing industry is, yeah. is unbelievable because that is not easy to do. But my question to you, because when I was reading your bio stuff, yeah. didn't say, did you have a practice law? I mean, you, you, you went to law school. So did I, you finished, I finished my L1. Okay. Um, not like Jamie here, but um, I did not really love law. I love business, so I followed my passion, went into the real estate world, and never looked back since. So. You know, it's very interesting because you know all of us here who've been in this industry for a long time can attest to the fact that you know most real estate agents all have a variety of different backgrounds. Yeah. A lot of them from law, a lot of them from finance. A lot of them from, you know, teaching and, actors, and Lord knows dancers, right. actors, dancers, dancers, you yeah. know, whatever. Sling and drinks. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mixed bag, right? But only those who get get to yeah. do it well, you know, survive. So anyway, let, let, let's let's talk about uh, some mortgage stuff here. You know, the difficulties, you know, first time buyers and actually any buyer uh, <coughs> face when trying to get a mortgage is no mystery. But there are a number of programs designed to help buyers. Part of deciding which option to choose will mean picking the right banker and lender, and that's serious. Not every mortgage lender has the same program. Some banks specialize in certain loan types, but others do not. Working with a mortgage banker is often a sound financial move to figure out which loan options will work best. It is, in fact, one of the first steps in preparing to look for an apartment and what a lot of buyers, you know, forget to do or don't get around to doing is to get themselves pre-qualified before they even start a search with an agent. And that then can become a problem Definitely. later on down the road when someone like you takes them on anyway. So tell us, you know, today, you know, in this particular climate, what is available for uh, buyers, you know, from your bank that is probably special or stands out from from the rest? Oh, that's a very commonly asked question, Vince. And, it, and I think, you know, our listeners need to know that you know, the uh, the market, the mortgage industry has changed dramatically, right, yeah. um, ever since the recession in 2009. And, you know, before, you know, if you had a pulse, if you had, you know, if you gave your blood type, you, Correct. Got, you, you received the mortgage. But now in today's marketplace. The good old days. 
I know those those were the good old days, right? But look, you know, the past but couple of years, the yeah. default rate has been at an all time low, right? Meaning that there's confidence in the marketplace. Banks are now willing to lend, and you have products out there here at Citizens Bank. We have a ten percent down, all the way up to two million dollars. Why is that so important in this marketplace? I mean, we all know entry level. That's huge, right? Entry level price for a condo in Manhattan. You're looking at 1.2, 1.3 million. Mm-hmm. So entry level, you're already in the millions, right? So the banks understanding that you know we have all these millennial target, you know, sort of home buyers in the next five years. They're looking at products and programs to really allow this demographics to really have an opportunity to buy. But let me ask you something because, yeah. you know, 10% was once a thing was okay, yes. before the, the, the 2008, 2009 kind correct, of slowdown correct. and crash. And a lot of first time buyers, and I was working in a building and, you know, this crew here has heard me say this before, you know, where um, they were mostly, if not all first time buyers and they went into their, their deals with 10% down yeah. and the 90% financing, the world crashes and the banks yeah. came back and said, oops, guess what? Yes. Now you need 20% yeah. and we can only do 80% Correct. financing. Do the banks today, does Citizens Bank today um, get have any concern that that may happen again or is it something that they're they're especially qualifying people to make sure yeah. that even though they're giving them 10% sure. 10% loan, uh, 90% loan, that they have the wherewithal behind them to kind of back it up if, if necessary. That's exactly exactly what it is, Vince, right? So banks are now a lot more, they're, they're more stringent in terms of their guidelines in the fact that they're looking for additional reserves. Right. They're looking for a debt to income for our listeners who don't know what that is. It's basically taking your overall annual income, dividing that by 12, and then dividing it by um, your monthly housing expense mm-hmm. along with your overall debt. So, you know, not only do you have to have additional cash reserves, a low debt to income, right around 28%, but you also have to have good credit as well, right? So let's talk a little bit about the debt to income ratio because yeah. surprisingly, even you know, after all of these years in, in the business, and I deal a lot with people who have bought and, and sold uh-huh. before, so they're experienced buyers. Yeah. And you know, when you talk to them and you try and make them understand that the debt to income ratio makes a difference, not only for the bank, but sometimes for the co-op building. For the co-op building. They yeah. look at you like you have six heads, like, well, well, you know, but I but I but I can afford it. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Well, I mean, we all like to walk around saying, I can afford it, right? But Explain what that actually means to buyers yeah. out there who so, kind of like try to fluff it off because so, they don't put so you too can, much importance. You can actually do this at home while you're, you know, cooking up uh, your, your your dinner or whatnot. It's, it's a really… Scrambled eggs in the morning. Scrambled eggs in the morning, exactly. You can try it at home. It's, it's an easy formula. Basically, you take your overall income per month and then you'll just take that number, divide it by your monthly housing expense, what you expect to be paying, along with your overall debt, right? So overall debt, meaning credit cards, car loans, um, student loans, whatever that is. And there's something called a front end and a back end debt to income, right? So the front end will take your your annual income divided by only your monthly housing expense. That should stay right around 28%. Mm -hmm. Your back end, however, includes your monthly housing expense along with your other debts, Right, and that should stay right around thirty-six percent. So, and Louise Phillips Forbes are uh, is back with us today. Uh, thank goodness. Uh, so, you being one of our uh, co-op specialists, you mm-hmm. know, in, in the in the house here today. So, how important is that debt to income ratio to, you know, the co-op board and people looking at, you know, can this person live here? Can this person afford this apartment, et cetera, et cetera? You know, from my experience, the boards we try to coach the boards to look at a 25% debt ratio. Mm -hmm. But we also advise, particularly in this environment that we're in, that we try to coach, and I do 
a lot of work with a lot of boards. Like, for example, 1100 Park, we just reduced that earlier this year from an all-cash building to a 50% cash building. But having an attitude that you're creating a community, you're not you're not plugging and playing some robot and that right. you you want to try to have diversity of a community to make it interesting and so to not be so rigorous on that and so to that some boards will take bonuses and average them over 3 years um as opposed to just look critically if somebody had a bad year um so that's been my experience. Ace, will the bank look at a, bo- a bonus too? Yeah. Especially for, for people who really kind of make, you know, maybe 50% of their income in, in steady salary and Definitely. then another 50% every year in bonus. And, and you know. Because it never used to be that way, by No, the way. never, never, Vince. And, you know, we'll take hybrid incomes, you know, whether uh-huh. if they're a W-2 wage earner, but then they also have a 1099 income. We can right. do both. Uh, we also do. Passive real income. estate agents, 1099 yeah. all the time. Passive right? income, you know, real estate. I- I have a particular question because I've been advising a lot of my self-employed people who are, let's say, people who do voiceovers and people have their own businesses and they expense a lot. For sure. That um, I have a a client, uh, an Asian client who owns a bunch of nail salons and I, and pays herself very, it's very cash. And I said, this year, I need you to claim more. Because I need to be able to average the last two years. And it's not so much about getting a loan. It's about getting through a board. Getting through a board, yeah. A lot of times, you know, you'll find that the co-op board is, if not more stringent than the bank, right? So their requirements. But post-closing liquidity, we also try to say, look, guys, you're not, you know, think about what you had 22 years ago when you bought. You wouldn't be able to qualify for your building today. 100%. And so there has to be an a, a level of compassion as we're in this changing mo- time. Ace, to your point, yeah. you know, half the time people say to me, but I got a mortgage and I can, dis- and I can do this <laughs> and I can do that. I will pass the board. I got a mortgage. Not so. That's anyway, it. we're going to leave it there for the minute. Coming back after the break, more with Ace, more with Jamie, more with um, the rest of the panel. But first, this is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We will be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Hi, this is James Nelson. I'm a huge fan of Vince's show, and I'd like to invite you all now to listen to my show on the Voice America Network, Real Estate Investing, live from New York. I will teach you everything you need to know about investing and operating commercial real estate. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of TV and radio shows that deal with investing in the stock market, and yet almost none that cover exclusively commercial real estate. This is not a get-rich-quick or how-to-flip-home shows. I will teach you step-by-step how to source, acquire, improve, and profit from commercial real estate. Please tune in live to the Voice America Business Channel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. 
Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back with our panel on Ace One, Tana Sir Parp. Perfect. Oh, wow. my God. You got it. I got you got it, Vince. Quickly. <laughs> All right, from Citizens Bank. And I, we want to continue our mortgage conversation because I think in today's uh, environment, this is uh, probably more important than anything else or anybody else that we deal with. <laughs> So do you see the Fed lowering interest rates again before the end of this year? I mean, they've done a great job yeah. so far this year, but being a w- rumor has it before the new year, it might come down just to a spike more. Do you yeah. see that happening or you, you know, hear anything I, about that I happening? I think that's like the million dollar question, right? And nobody really has a crystal ball. But if you see what's going on with the um, with the presidential election next year, well, I was going to ask you about that. Go a ahead. lot of uncertainty um, going into the new year uh, with talks of recessions, you know, glooming right around the corner. Um, the expectation is that they will lower it probably one more time before the new year, and and we'll see what happens in 2020. How do you think going through 2020 is going to affect the mortgage industry? I mean, I'm you know we get to these guys in a minute, and yeah. you know we all have different varying opinions about how an election year in general For will sure. affect you know our business. But what do you think it's going to do to the mortgage business? You know, it could go two ways, right? It could either lower interest rates even more. Um, the president um, has already communicated that he is looking to push the Fed to go into Imagine that. negative um, territory, right? So we're talking about negative interest rates, which I don't think personally that that will happen. No. But no, I mean, but that's the direction that he thinks the Fed should take. So, and look, if a, a new elected um, president comes into place, I mean, what we need to take into account is if you look at our local economy, mm-hmm. right? And, and everything is so global today, our local e- economy, we're doing very well. The economy is robust. Extremely um, well. Minimum wage earned income is at an all-time high. You know, unemployment all-time low, and inflation rates are right around the target rates that you know that two percent rate. So, if you look at our economy locally, all signs lead up to a rising interest rate environment, right? But if you look at our global um, political situation, we still have trade wars and things of that nature. So, I think any sign of 
of of any um, sort of stability globally, I think we are, we're going to see interest rates um, start rising little by little. You know, not not. Not um not a bunch, but gradually. You're talking about over a long over a period, long period like, of time. Yes. So right? does that so. mark the the next run? Meaning, um, yeah, I think so. The cause and effect, because I For feel sure. like a lot of people feel like we are leaning towards we're we're, but there's no inflation at this yeah, moment. Exactly. But that's <clears throat> got to be coming into play, yeah. and real estate is a good hedge on that. And, and that's why so many buyers that are on the fence today, I try to explain to them and communicate to them, and I, I'm trying to shout it from the, like the top of the roof, it, where it's a perfect storm today, mm-hmm. right? So if you're a buyer, it is a perfect, and you're storm. waiting for that perfect moment, you're gonna look back ten years from today and say, man, you know, I should have pulled the trigger. You well, know, back how many? In, 2020, right? So for those well, people that yeah. are should have should have would have could have that exactly. have been in the cycle for for of this business for decades, like like many of us have, I think we've all experienced that. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. So you know, you and I Ace, were talking in the in the green room before the show yes. how business in general for you and you just kind of alluded to it has been really great yeah. interest rates being low this year uh incenting uh buyers to come to the table more than not so yeah. um you know then then they say or say well you know the the real estate market in general is not doing so well and people still looking for deals but from your perspective mm-hmm. from a from a, a banking industry perspective the amount of clients you've had this year have been oh it's been good. tremendous it's been record-breaking just uh, you know with- i mean that that's Awesome to hear. With, with awesome. purchase business um, coupled with refinances, right? So people Correct. are tapping Correct. into their equity. Absolutely. Um, they're um, debt consolidating. And, you know, some of them are, are a lot of the baby boomers who are not particularly downsizing because they want families to come in and congregate. What they're doing now is they're taking out home equity line of credits, improving their homes. Isn't that and interesting? Staying in yeah. there, right? So yeah. I think there's going to be a huge wave of baby boomers selling their property. In the next couple of years, and you know, I, I, I agree with that. Market. I've been waiting for that. Right? We've been waiting for that. <laughs> we've so. been waiting. We've been waiting for that. So, but I, but I agree with that. All right. So, generally speaking, five factors play a major role in determining whether you qualify for a loan yeah. uh, and how much you can borrow and what and what interest rate. So, we already talked about debt to income ratio. Yes. How important when when a buyer comes to you, whether they're first time or you know second and third time, whatever. How important is credit history and credit score? A lot of people, again, oh. kind of say, well, you know, I might have had a little bit of a problem, but I'm back on track. You know, how important is that? Oh, credit is king, right, in today's marketplace. So if you're someone that is not sure what their credit score is like, you know, you can, oh. you can oh, the, the biggest thing that I always encourage all of our listeners or borrowers that are looking to buy is, you know, Check your credit, even if, you know, you can, it's, there's so many different agencies, but you can go to freecreditscore.com. It's free. You know, you pull up your credit. So at least you'll be aware of that missing payment that you didn't do last year. And a lot of times it's always that silly $20, um, you know, credit card bill that you just missed and it dinged your credit. And, And there's so many different ways. And, you know, I think preparation is key, Vince. Because you don't want to realize that you have a blemish in your credit score Correct. during that 60-day window, right? You want to allow your time to have some time to fix up your credit. Correct. So. You know, Ace, what I've had what I've had a couple of your loan officers over the yeah. last years do also is they'll come to when the buyer comes to you or the borrower comes yeah. to your guys, they actually his his loan officers have 
cleans up the credit for people right. and then submit it. Oh, that's a is, service that we provide. You that's know, even very, very important. they even apply with us, right? So, yeah. and, so that and, was and, a huge help. Yeah. And, and again, right, that's a very big help for people who sometimes aren't even aware of what yeah. they have in front of them until they pull it up. Yeah. Employment history. Talk a little bit about employment history. You know, yeah. lapses in employment, for example, Definitely. or long-term employment. Yeah, I mean, changes in employment, um, that's something that we tell all of our borrowers to really heed, right? Because you need two years of employment history, especially, especially if you're going from a W-2 wage earned income to a 1099. And that doesn't mean that you own your own company. You could either just be an independent contractor, right? So a lot of times, you know, folks may get a raise or a different position, and, and you're, you're going totally from one industry to another, that will affect your ability to sustain a good income for the bank. So there's so many different things that our listeners should really sort of know before going into buying a mortgage. The best thing I would say is be consistent. Try to stay where you are. Um, don't make any drastic changes in your employment history um, during that during that mortgage process. Right. And a healthy a healthy amount of savings is is always going to be helpful, especially when we talk about, like we said before, down payments. In some cases, you can apply for or qualify rather yeah. for ten percent down and ninety percent financing. The bank is going to want to see a little bit of savings there, you know, to cover a rainy day should, should yeah, they, a rainy they, day happen. They want to see the ability to um, save cash reserves, right? right? They want to see a good history of the ability to repay the mortgage back. So the more down payment you put, you know, the more you show that behavior. Right, right. Um, So how often are you seeing, um, and we talked a little bit about this before the show as well, how often are you seeing people who typically would pay cash, two and a half, three, four million dollars, where, you know, I've been playing in one of my new developments, you know, typically paying uh, cash, how often are you seeing them now deciding to take a a mortgage, a little bit of a mortgage, you know, some a, a bunch of, uh, yeah. you know, halfway through whatever, oh. because money is free right now. It's, really, it's free money. Up. I mean, next to the bank of mom and dad, you know, <laughs> rates rates at two point. The rates bank at of two, mom and dad. The yeah, bank exactly. of mom and dad, right? The rates at two point seven five. That's it. <laughs> Who wants to adopt? <laughs> but um, but if you're if you're looking at a rate of two point seven five, it's almost free money. It, right? It's and, it's unbelievable. And I think we've seen a shift literally within the last three three years. Anything that was right around two and a half million, three million, a lot of our buyers would have would have said, you know what, Ace, thanks, but no thanks. I'm gonna buy I'm gonna, I will buy this property all cash. In today's marketplace, we've done loans in the tune of nine million dollars, right? So we're looking at the Uber wealthy taking out financing as well. I mean, listen, why, why not? not? I mean, why if not? you've got a, a, a conservative underwritten and performance on money is yeah. four to eight percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like yeah. conservative, 4%. And, and if you look at, you know, bonds, the stock market, right? Stock market, it's rallying now, but it was so volatile. A lot of these affluent buyers, they want to keep their money in the marketplaces, right? So what are they doing? They're tapping into really high leverage financing because rates are so low. Their money is working for them in other places. That's more than the two point seven. Our money, rate. my 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 money that's in a hedge fund yeah. right now is is. Twenty three hundred percent since two thousand and twelve return. Yeah, twenty three hundred percent. I mean, twenty three hundred percent. Right. So that that's so everybody. If you need money, Louise can can lend you the money. Right. We're, yeah, we're, 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 we're in good hands here. We're in good hands here. So, 
Well, but 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 that that makes all of the difference. Now, of course, you know the the, the people are going to say, well, the Jeff Bezos who just spent eighty yeah. million dollars on a on a penthouse apartment on Lower Fifth Avenue Excuse is me, not going really, to find that's the, the recorded price was seventy seven million. I have high doubts that that actually came well, out of his pocket. Well, seventy seven, but I think he well that well city yeah, and state be. transfer, decorator credits, the transfer taxes, <laughs> and then he bought the just two saying. or three apartments right underneath the penthouse. So I think all all combined, it came out to it. be eighty million dollars. And I just saw something, Nikki Field. Had a uh, who sold it to him had a, a, a little video on someplace yesterday. It's a great apartment. I mean, it's like oh, ten thousand yeah. plus square feet. So you know, eighty million dollars. That's the out, second site selection for Amazon. It's ten thousand square feet. You could have a pool on the roof. Maddie Cohen and I went to do a tour of that whole building once a while ago when so she first opened it. We didn't see that that apartment. Anyway, we have to take a break. We will come back more with the panel. Ace one, Tana Serp, Perp, Perp. Did I say that right? <laughs> Watana Supart. Hello, you're close. Supart. You're close, Vince. Good From Citizens Bank. Thank yes. you. We, we will be right back after these messages. Don't <laughs> go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is James Nelson. I'm a huge fan of Vince's show, and I'd like to invite you all now to listen to my show on the Voice America Network, Real Estate Investing, live from New York. I will teach you everything you need to know about investing and operating commercial real estate. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of TV and radio shows that deal with investing in the stock market, and yet almost none that cover exclusively commercial real estate. This is not a get-rich-quick or how-to-flip-home shows. I will teach you step-by-step how to source, acquire, improve, and profit from commercial real estate. Please tune in live to the Voice America Business Channel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We are all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back, and we're here with the panel. Sean McPeak from Halstead, Louise Phillips-Forbes from Halstead, Tracy Hammersley from Douglas Elliman, 
and Phil Horrigan from freelyandleasebreak.com. Jamie, of course, and Ace are with us as well. Jamie, let me ask you. So, sure. you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, rent stabilization, rent control. Outside of New York City, it doesn't really appear that much. But um, here in the city, it's major. So can you explain to the listening audience what the succession rights are in rent-stabilized and rent-controlled apartments? People tend to think they've changed, they are changing, but have they really changed? Um, I mean, the succession really has not changed to the extent that it's always been, or for as long as I could remember, and I've been doing this, you know, prior to my doing closings, I still have a very big landlord-tenant practice, so they... I've been dealing with rent-stabilized tenants for 25 years, and as long as I can remember, the law was always that it was two years consecutively that a family member had to be living with the tenant of record before they died or vacated. Now, it was a year. It was always – it was also, as long as I can recall, a year if they are disabled or senior – it's only a year succession that they have to prove. But what did change, and if I want to recall correctly, I believe it was in 1994, I was actually handling a case that became what changed, which was a succession case of two partners. So so one man had passed away. They hadn't yet had succession for non, non-married non spouses. And this is prior to, of course, it being um, what same year sex. Is this? this is 1994 Sorry. being, yeah. or maybe even 93 being legal. And so what happened was the case got fought, went up to the appellate division and the, the partner had ended up prevailing as the, re- as the regulated tenant of record for that apartment. They yeah, changed but, the law then to yeah. traditional family members. So now, just fast forward, the law is that it's not just a family member is defined under the rent stabilization code, which used to just be brother, father, sister, mother, right. grandparent. Grandpa- yeah, yeah. Now, it didn't even include aunts and uncles. Now it's anybody that lived Has together like, wow. like a traditional family member. So what does that mean? It means, yeah. did you get left everything in the will? Did you share right. holidays? Did right. you go food shopping? Right. Things like that. Right. Well, that's, yeah, well, it. That, well prior, that, that's interesting. Go ahead. Prior to 1994, I have a lot, you know, my brother passed away from AIDS and a lot of, uh, not, I didn't mean to be assumption, uh, assume that, but so many of those partners lost. I, that was what it was lives. in this one too. Yep. Yeah. Well, that and in some cases, it's still happening. So uh, it, it's unfortunate. But a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm going to move in with my best friend's grandmother right. because right. of whatever. And so you're saying that now they can non-traditional family member inherit that apartment? Only if they were truly living together as as, as, as family. family. Right. If they're just moved in to help somebody out or to try and take over that apartment, that's not going to qualify. If they, But it does happen sometimes. They could have started out just as a help, but all of a sudden they started becoming like family and started doing all the holidays together how and 20 prove, years how later. How do you prove that, Jamie? It's like, really, I feel like it's so hard to prove that, right? Well, how they proved it in, this, in the case well, that back in 1993 and for cases thereafter. I mean, if you're really yeah. with somebody living like husband and wife, even though you're not married, then you have a lot of holiday cards. You have family members. They had so much information. Oh, yeah, sorry. No, I meant how do you prove the opposite? In other words, I feel like you could pretty much prove the case that, yeah, we're like family. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't know. I feel like if you're like a a best friend's grandson, you kind of. I have somebody that in my own building that was was paralyzed, and he ended up marrying his caregiver of 20 years. 
to give the appointment. To make sure she was protected. Well, that's, yeah, that is amazing. It's true story. Well, but these are true stories and these things happen. So, you know, Jamie, just to follow up on that. So, um, how do the landlords deal with this? Because, you know, oftentimes people say to me, well, these landlords are stuck, stuck, for lack of a better word, with these tenants paying much reduced rent all these years, and then it continues to go on and it goes on and it goes on. How do they deal with this? I mean, as far as upkeeping of the building and needing more revenue to come in to do that, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it used to be a lot easier to deal with. Um, but with the Not changes, anymore. but right with the anymore. changes in the absolutely well, the, the, the yeah. housing right yeah. with the changes in the, with the housing stability uh, tenant protection act, the laws completely changed and made that really really difficult yep. because it used to be that when somebody did vacate at the very you had this low rent and eventually the owners were going to get back the apartments, be able to renovate them, spend as much as they could legally spend mm-hmm. to bring the rents up. To then get it to be a free market, can't do it now. Now you can't do it, and they're just they're just really stuck. I mean, I'm really hoping that that part of the law will change, and and I feel fairly good about that part of it because what's just going to happen is buildings are going to go under. I mean, I remember in 1990 with all the uh, Freddie Mac receiver receiverships coming around, that's going to happen again. Go back to 1974 on the cover of the magazine where Uncle Sam, New York was Oh my God, yes. Correct. And that is because of, you know, it's almost unconstitutional to not allow the opportunity for capitalism to occur. Not almost. It is entirely unconstitutional what they're doing. It really is. There is a law. There already already is. They've already had um, CHIP, which is Community Housing Improvement Program. They've already filed. Um, RSA's been involved in that. And they they have the lawsuit, and that's exactly what they're claiming. It's entirely unconstitutional. I will just say my largest client having about 10,000 apartments in the city, my largest client, sorry, um, having about 10,000 apartments in the city, they now, here's an example, I take and I renovate, I have 25 renovations at one time that I'm managing with them, right. whether it's a rental or a, conver- or a condominium. But for the rentals, you know, basically the cause and effect of that is untold the number of jobs. They order 200 to 300 kitchens a year that is not happening anymore. Oh, it's spiraling oh, out of control, the effects of it. Is that they didn't even think are about. They, are they warehousing apartments? Is that their approach to it? No, the approach is, is they're putting friends and family in apartments for three bedrooms for $1,700 and not improving them after being lived in for 35 years mm-hmm. because you know what? They're trapped. What, what about what about yeah. the owners that actually did legitimate buyout agreements, spent a couple hundred thousand dollars to get back apartments? The law changed while they were vacant and boom, yeah. they now just are Stop. out this money, can't do anything. It's terrible. It's gonna it's gonna cause the exact opposite of what they intended. Yes. What they intended. Exactly. It's gonna cause slum. But the the real the real reason all these laws came into place is because people took power and they didn't want their constituents moving. So they didn't want people to have a ladder out of rent stabilization, poverty, whatever is going on in their lives. So they well, everyone's just gonna stay right in place. It's not gonna be turnover. Right. I, I think I think that another really big motivation behind it unfortunately was a few bad eggs ruining it for everybody else because yeah, I, I personally do not represent <clears throat> slumlords, yeah. but they exist here in the city. And when they turn when when companies and individuals turns around and wrongfully Roman. regained possession. <laughs> not <naming> of, names. <laughs> not to mention names. <laughs> yeah. uh, regains possession of those units. Yeah. And as a result of it, politics, yes, bl- 
plays a huge role because they had to come in there. Look, before this happened, most people aren't even aware there's something called the TPU, the Tenant Protection Unit. Uh, Cuomo, that that came in, I don't remember, I, I believe it was under Cuomo, it could even have been with Bata, I don't remember. I don't but, remember. But that is the whole unit that they, that started this whole thing with investigating the the you know the, the people that were investigated. Yeah. Suffice it to say, it's a it's a problem, uh, and it needs to be addressed yet again. Uh, of course. And, and let's see what you know future administrations or or current administrations uh, do about it. But there there needs to be some changes. Let's move on. When the market shifts, you need Sorry. to get creative in your marketing and sales approach to get a deal done. <clears throat> You know, over time, you know, deals getting done today are are difficult at best. You know, is it really, you know, only about price or do you really have to still have a, a, a more succinct and more concrete marketing plan to get your message out there, your listing out there and hopefully a deal done? I mean, what, 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 what's I, I like, yeah, the, the people float out offers and there's there. I feel like in the, in the shifting market we're in, there's. There's a lack of urgency from whether it's managing agents or lawyers, buyers themselves. And I feel like you have to repeatedly close somebody in order to get that yeah. contract signed. Like you have yeah, to follow but I also, up with, with deals that are kind of floating out there because just, I just feel like there's no sense of urgency and you got to kind of motivate everybody. There, there, there isn't a sense of urgency. And that's why I was intrigued with when, what Ace was talking about before. But go ahead, Louise. Do you want to say something? I was just going to say that, you know, our real estate market is always in some form of flux because we have such a diverse kind of product. And if and I keep harping on the fact that only thirty-eight, which probably will soon to be forty percent of New York City, is available to even be bought yeah. or traded. Mm-hmm. I do believe that we're always in flux and I think that why is it I have four offers on 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 a thirteen and not thirteen point nine million dollar penthouse? Because people are pent up to make decisions because they have been sitting on the fence. So I believe, Well, there's a lot of that. Yeah. I believe that it 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 is a a movement that New Yorkers are not going to put their lives on hold. That's for the New York market in general. Hey Vince, I do believe that it is always both the price and the marketing that make the difference, um, especially in a market like this. I mean, I never, I always look at marketing as not something where you're going to try to convince someone to buy that is not supposed to buy. Right. Yes, it's supposed, you're, you're going to try to help find that person. That person's out there somewhere. How are you going to find them? And especially in this market, so you could use marketing to help to do that. Um, like as a kind of a silly example, if, right, we know there's a lot of people looking for deals right now. So if you know your apartment is is listed, say, 10% below the last place that closed, you may even want to mention that in the marketing first sentence, as an example. You may not want to, but you may want to, because you're going to catch someone. You might mm-hmm. get catch someone. So just little things like that, you absolutely want to, to complement the pricing and the marketing together. Tracy Hammersley, what is a deal today? Oh, boy, that's a loaded question, Vince. <laughs> well, I mean, because Phil's point is, is is correct. I mean, everybody is out there looking for a deal, and I think the hesitation is until they, in their mind, decide, I found that deal, they aren't going to move forward. What is a deal in your sure, mind? Sure, I'll give you an example. I've been working with a cash buyer of mine looking at things in the FIDI, and there's a unit, the exact same unit, seven floors below, uh, so from 29 to 22, we're not talking, you know, seven to first or you know, eight to first, something like that. Um, views are fairly similar. Um, and the lower floor one that just closed had been beautifully renovated. Um, and uh, it closed um, 
at about two hundred thousand dollars below what the higher floor one was wow. was asking. Wow. And so we're sitting there saying, "Well, this is the most current comp that you can get." And my guy wasn't willing to pay anything more than the lower floor one. That to him would have been a deal, and the owner wouldn't engage. So it really is, I think, coming down to price and looking so back. So it's at a learning process comps. for the seller. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Sean McPeak, you just recently opened a new development uh, downtown. So are you seeing increased traffic in your development compared to your resale business or is it just sort of like the same? Yeah, well, I think I think the important distinction is with the development is that we have like a new development page on StreetEasy. So we're not part of like the building expert or premier program. So yeah, yeah, we, yeah. Well, tell, <laughs> tell us the address, Sean. Uh, yeah. 11 East 36th Street. And we had Loft two building, weeks. great building. It took, it took two weeks to create our, our new development section. And I can tell you the uptick in traffic from when that page went up has been about uh, four times the amount of traffic. So we wow. had eight, we had eight uh, people come by the open house on Sunday. And great. that's, up that's significant. For, I for hate this, that you're saying that out loud. <laughs> Why? Just how I feel about Street Easy. Are you listening? <laughs> oh, we're not talking about that today. <laughs> Don't buy Zillow stock. All right. Anyway, stand by. We are live from Smash Studios in Hudson Yards, New York City. You are listening to the Voice America Talk Radio Network. I am Vince Rocco. We will be back after these messages, so don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders, so you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America. 
at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back with Ace Wontana Sipar. We are here with Jamie Heiberger, Phil Hurrigan, Tracy Hammersley, Louise Phillips-Forbes, and Sean McPeak. Um, Ace, I just wanted to ask you a quick question, yes. follow-up question. So we're, we're talking about some of the things that can get in the way, and then I want to go to Jamie, of you know what's stopping deals today. So from a yeah. mortgage perspective, is there anything in particular that is uh, like a showstopper on the financial side? More so today than, than say, you know, in the past. More so today than in the past. I, I mean, look, I, I think we're all feeling the whole, you know, TLC, tender love and care, right? Where, you know, hand people holding. are handholding. And I think, you know, there, there's no one thing that's a showstopper on the mortgage side, except the fact that clients are getting pre-approved. Um, they're looking for homes. In the past, inventory was very scarce, so they couldn't really find the, the home of their dreams. But today, they're just not really pulling the trigger, so I was going to say, is it that it's, it's or more, just pulling out of a deal saying, or, or no. pulling out a deal yeah. because they have cold feet. That's what we're experiencing. But in terms of you know being approved and whatnot, you know, they are going through the pre- pre-approval process. So we are vetting through yeah. uh, qualified and non-qualified buyers. Jimmy Heiberger. Uh, so from your perspective, you know, what are the difficulties in, in getting deals done today that you're seeing? Or what is the, the biggest, you know, obstacle that a buyer, for example, is, is trying to get over to actually get that deal done and sign a contract? I mean, I would say that the biggest os- obstacle, ironically enough to me, has always been the same obstacle, which is people not doing their homework in advance of getting that deal sheet out and getting deals into contract. And in a market like this, any time that you could avoid giving the buyer a reason to delay or a reason not to sign or a reason to hold out, you should you should avoid that. So, I mean, look, brokers that have their listings and end up in contracts or listing the property before they know that there's not an open permit or before they know whether or not they've gotten the sign-off, so the CO, it's just foolish because now you're basically inviting the buyers to take their time. And and Correct. so just, you know, doing your homework and cutting that out of the equation will definitely make things move along uh, quicker. The other thing, of course, is just people seeing property on the on online too long. Correct. You know, they see yeah. it online so long. They see that A there haven't been. property. Yes. And, uh. and, you know, even what even gets worse is when they know there was a prior offer on it Absolutely. and it didn't get signed up. What's yeah, wrong with that listing? But I think that I think it's also. I do believe that apartments sometimes have a life. I love, I'm, I have no problem being the second or third wife. 100%. Absolutely. Actually, that's preferred. Absolutely. Indeed. Yeah. However, in this market, right. but, but, but to be able to go in with the data, I am flabbergasted that I'm getting listings where they're like, well, that's what they told me. Something that's four and a half million dollars that's been on the market for almost a year. Yeah. And I'm getting it. And I'm like, you should be listed at 3.6. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, how is that possible? Nothing. Nothing. They don't change. The, they don't change the listings. They don't update the assessments. They don't update the carrying costs. Correct. It's irresponsible. It's completely irresponsible. All right. So moving on, the millennial generation, as I talked about at the top of the show, which comprises people born from eighty-one to ninety-seven. Uh, yeah, there's a few here, uh, and their consumption <laughs> habits are largely responsible for fundamental changes in several industries, like retail and the housing market. After a decade of uh, cocooning, millennials want now to buy homes that represent value, uh, which is in keeping with the way they shop for everything else, according to CNBC. This is their report. The delay in home buying is over. 
the spending is just beginning. In fact, Toll Brothers, a major developer here in town, said recently, quote, in fiscal year 2019, over 20% of their closings had one purchaser 35 years or younger. Or younger. Yeah. That's I, that, that doesn't surprise me. Well, it doesn't surprise me, but when I read the article, I was a little taken aback because for most of the last couple of years, all you kept hearing was millennials don't buy homes, don't want to buy homes, not interested in permanence. Yeah. They want to go on vacation. They want to go, you know, you know, buy stuff and That's socialize with accurate. their friends. It's not. Just not accurate. And news it's is, not by the way, about accurate. 24 months late. Uh, I, I agree. So when I read this, I was a little taken aback. But then I said, okay, because that make now it seems to make sense to me. But think Why wouldn't they want to buy value? But think about your own deals that you've done this particular year. Yeah. Tons of millennials. Yeah. Tons. More so, more so than yeah, not. But, so but, that's the good I think news. we should clarify where their down payments and where the money's coming from. Correct. A lot, a lot of parents buying. Oh, parents. Oh, absolutely. But, absolutely. I, but I feel like that that's been the case for a long time. I mean, I can afford New York. In this you know, town, it's always mom. What they say, mom and dad's money. I mean, that's this right. Is right. Even, even in their thirties, even in their thirties, sure. yes. even in their forties, they still have parents. I'm doing a deal right now with people who are just below. 50 years old and they're getting money from parents. It happens all the time. <laughs> getting money from parents. No, but I can tell you on the bank side, we we have a s- statistic that shows the age group, right? So um, going into 2019, millennials composed of 35% of the first home-time buyers. Going to the next three years, by 2023, 2020, um, 2024, they'll make up 75%. Wow. Right? Wow. So, I mean, that's a huge it's the, statistic. It's the baby boomer transition Correct. that we have been approaching. Yeah. And, yeah. and who's going to represent this 75% of sellers? That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. right. Well, I that's mean, a very good them, question. A lot of them are going to actually be millennials upgrading. That's Correct. That's what I'm experiencing yeah. right now. So it should be an amazing future that we have here in the real estate world. <laughs> preach, Jamie. Preach. Yeah. <laughs> preach it. Well, absolutely. And and one of the things that we all know about this industry is it changes every day, cyclical. it changes every month, and it changes every year. So it, it's very cyclical. We only have a couple of minutes left. How many listing presentations have you all walked out of mm. because you couldn't get seller to agree to, I'm going to use the word, right price mm-hmm. to list and then to go to market? How many listing presentations recently have you walked out of? The last of? 30 days for myself of the 14 pitches that I've been in, I have walked away from six. Wow. And after they... That's the that's at, that's the number. That, that's about that's about the that's uh, that's the percentage. However, you just walk right out in the middle of the presentation. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Mic drop, Phil. <laughs> no, yeah, mic but drop. I can't work that's with you it. people. <laughs> but the truth is, is that they have through talking to friends and and because I come so armed with contract signed prices, yeah. and the factual data that they, it's really hard for them. Like I know you're right, but I'm going to try this for 90 days and I'll call you afterwards. Mm-hmm. Perfect. You're setting yourself up to be the second wife. Well, you know, listen, but but that's how it works. And those who stick it out and stay there and say, all right, I'll list for 50000 more or 100000 more. Guess what happens to that listing, everybody? You uh, well, see it nine months well, later. I'm going to okay? try with Ryan Sirhunt. Sir no, I love Ryan. But it's like, I, let me try with him because of his show. And you know what? I just took one back. Yeah. 
People Listen, don't buy apartments on TV. So. And, and well, they don't. But you know, the sellers out there think that because the face is on TV. Yeah. Look, guys, we have many, many voices here on the show. Yeah. So call these people. They are great people. All right, that's all we have for today. Thank you to Ace. Thank you to Jamie. Thank you to the Yay. panel. That is our broadcast for today. Thank you for joining us. You can follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, or Instagram at Vince Rocco. We are back next week because if it is Tuesday morning, it is Good Morning New York Real Estate. Shoot for the moon, everyone. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. Be kind to one another. And for all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us and have a great day. Have a happy holiday. I made a mistake. We won't be back until January 7th. So enjoy. Happy uh, Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. And happy New Year. Talk to you soon, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.